0: From the high desert of northern New Mexico, this is Circle for Original Thinking. I am your host, Galena Fadisio-Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers. An open forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each week, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions, We ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day. Political polarization, climate change, virulent viruses, and other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a whole and sacred America, a new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one, and this time not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. We've been speaking with Jeremy Johnson and Barbara Carlson on the coronavirus and the radical interconnection of the human to the microbial world, the evolution of consciousness and structures of consciousness. Now we continue to part two of our interview. You know, I, uh, one of my favorite poets is, uh, Gary Snyder. And, uh, he, he, he wrote, a he wrote about, uh, a poem i I don't remember the title of it, but it's a but it's about making your mind like compost.
1: <laughs>
0: and he said the the new stuff goes on top. turn it over, turn it over, wait and water down from the dark bottom, turn it, turn it inside out, let it spread through, watch it sprout. a mind like compost. So my question for for both of you is, how do we nurture the soil of consciousness that you're speaking about, this emergent consciousness that is going to be a mutational leap? How do we nurture that soil of consciousness now? That's a great question. Jeremy, you (laughs) want to go for it
2: first? You go. All right. Uh, You know, I think part of this, maybe as as a practical response uh, to what is felt as as a life condition right now, an existential life condition, there's a lot of anxiety about what's breaking down. Uh, our sense of time is breaking down. Our, our structure of everyday life is being rearranged very dramatically during, particularly d- during COVID, right, with the lockdown. And uh, questions about you know, supply chains and resources and whether or not we're really getting ready for this climate crisis if we can't handle this little virus in terms of uh, collective response. So there's a lot of anxiety about what we can really rely on. And I think we have to trust that those things are breaking down right now. Those are invitations to let go, to compost our our modes Mm. of thinking, our sense of time there is a there was a, an article in the guardian complaining about how with the with no 9 to 5 job structure anymore everyone's just at home there's no sense of week weekday or weekend and they said time has become a time soup time is melting down and it was a sense of vertigo that a lot of people are experiencing and it was a you know just complaining about this now um I think this is a wonderful opportunity to explore what is being composted, what is actually being overturned and flipped over and no longer has primacy anymore just existentially, right? Uh our sense of time is being restructured allowing that to happen, right? Uh and for folks who are more on the ecological side of things, um like Jem Bendel and Joe Brewer, who are uh, just doing some great work studying climate change and bioregionalism and and how to respond. Uh, Jem Bendel particularly is talking about collapse, not as a possibility, but as a a reality that we are undergoing. And I don't think that's necessarily as catastrophic as it sounds. Our our modes of being in the world are breaking down. They are going uh, through a kind of a death process or a composting process. So the, the more readily we can accept that and work with it, the less suffering, the less struggle has to happen, right? So how do we get our hands in the compost? How do we help this along? Because, because then we can start growing things that actually nurture, nurture us rather than just give us vertigo or um, make us unprepared for a future that will, out of necessity, be more ecological, like in Barber's book title, like terrestrial. Uh, Bruno Latour talks about this, this sort of new orientation that we're all undergoing right now, this restructuration of the world, moving back towards the terrestrial, coming down to Earth. It's the name of one of his books that I've been telling everybody to go read uh, during the pandemic. So how do we become terrestrial? And maybe this is a segue uh, for Barbara, too. Like, how do we become terrestrial? How do we get down to Earth? Because it seems like that is what everything is asking us to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Yeah, same question for you, Barbara. You know, how do we nurture the soil of consciousness and how do we become terrestrial? That's that's beautiful.
1: Well, I think that, um, you know, instead of focusing on uh, germs, we can see right away that, um, you know, this idea of germ came about mainly through um Louis Pasteur. And um, at the time, you know, there was uh, a lot of, um, you know, um, practices that we'll say weren't, um, you know, sort of up to sanitary grade. And at the time, it just it was a term that got overused. And the idea of germ puts too much emphasis on on an isolation of a particular microbe or virus um, where uh, if you understand how the fabric where the web of life operates, it operates as a sympoiesis. That is, everything is making with everything else. Everything is a terrain. Mm-hmm. Nothing is separate. So this idea of germs was sort of a, a, a man-made um, name for singling out or vilifying um, microbes for making us sick, when you know the the other uh, parts of the terrain, the raw sewage, or the cows that were standing in their excrement weren't taken into consideration when they were describing germs, you know, whenever there is an imbalance in a terrain, um, certain viruses and uh, micros will get more virulent. And I tend to like the term virulent more so than germ, because germ means that something is attacking us. When really, you know, vir- viruses and micros are just doing what they do, which is when they're under pressure, they will become more virulent. That is their that is their genius. I mean, the, <clears throat> that is what has led to uh, the diversification and the complexification of life. Um, so I think um Understanding that everything is, 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 has, comes down to a balance of the terrain. And, um, whenever we get, uh, out of balance, there is going to be certain parts of the terrain that will become, you know, sort of a bit of a, a problem. So, mm. <clears throat> so I personally, view everything now as terrain I view my body as a terrain an ecosystem that I can have agency with um, so that I don't feel like I'm a victim um you know hiding my home uh afraid to go out because of germs i try to uh sort of create as much diversity in my own terrain my you know i look at my body as an ecosystem so diversifying my diet i take probiotics i take prebiotics and I eat mushrooms, I forage as much of my food as I can, I grow a garden, I put my hands in the soil, I have plants in my home. I try to create a diverse terrain around me, both inside of me, with everything I put in my body, knowing that my body is a garden. So I'm sort of... um, How do I take care of my garden inside? And then how do I complexify my garden around me? So the world becomes very magical. The world becomes very, I become very intimate with my surroundings. I become intimate with what I put into my body and I become intimate with what is around me. And I think we have to begin to see that we have this co-creative capacity with our lives and with the terrain around us that becomes quite magical in some ways. And, you know, the, the natural world is extremely responsive. It responds. I mean, if you have a plant and you're, you know, taking care of it, you, it responds. As opposed to a plant that you ignore, so I think this this falling in yeah. love with the natural world begins also with the body, and understanding that this body is really a miracle. Like imagine all of those microbes that I'm hosting. Well, am I a good host or am I a bad host? You know, it's like, or am I hosting nature in a in a sort of uh, beautiful way? Or am I being, you know, tearing down everything around me to get a, a view? You know, these are the things I think that we have to understand is that we have so much agency. And mm. I just think science is another language for magic. So when, when I say we have a new science, um, we're understanding that our world is very different than what we thought. You know, when we actually begin to have an intimate interaction with the world, it becomes a very different place.
0: Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I just, that might be another book title for you, My Body is a Garden. (laughs) that's, that's That's a very evocative phrase. And I kind of, I would like to focus on on a little bit on that right now, you know, and and the way that we're treating, the way that we're treating our own bodies and the way that we're treating um, the soil seem to me to be very interconnected. And I'm very disturbed by the uh, tremendous movement in the last 50 to 60 years, I guess, um, to move toward monocultural farming in the United States and and really around the world. Um, And it just seems to me that I think it was Vandana Shiva who used the phrase monocultural thinking. It's almost a it's a it's a frame of mind. Too, I mean, it's an us against them frame of mind. It's the opposite of what we've been talking about here, where we're recognizing the world is interrelated, we're recognizing that our own body is interrelated. We are nurtured by these microbes. So if we're eating food that that has been prepared in this monocultural way, where we're identifying pests as 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 something to eradicate, or even worse, creating GMO foods, which are pesticides. You know, so you know, uh, to to make sure no pests come, um, we we're not healthy. You know, um, there's a lot of studies. I think I'm sure you would agree, Barbara and Jeremy. You know, about you know eating certain kinds of food make your mood better, right? Because you're you know you're you're this is we're not healthy. We're not, we're not emotionally healthy either, you know? Um, So how can we, you know, what I sometimes think in terms of ceremonies, I mean, what's the ceremony we need to do now? You know, all ceremony is ultimately about one level of reality being interconnected with other levels of reality. And all ceremonies are about, bringing things into balance, resetting the balance. So what's the ceremony? What's the appropriate ceremony we need to do to rebalance with our microbial relatives now? That's what I want to ask you guys.
2: Who would like to address it?
0: (laughs) I don't don't know if I have
2: a good answer for that, but it's a great question. Uh, Well, first of all, I think there are so many things we can be doing in community as a practice to reconnect with with land with bioregion with cultivating a healthy relationship with that bioregion and and societal practices that you could see as a ritual as a ceremony right um I, I don't know if you if you read recently um an article that i posted in the mutations group uh, by Douglas Rushkoff talking about big agriculture failing at making good food and he says um I'll just read his, his line, the, the, the little tagline that I've been posting. Here. We know now beyond any doubt that industrial agriculture gets less food out of the ground with fewer nutrients, less efficiently, more expensively and with greater environmental devastation than small and organic farming. This is no longer a debate. I mean, right there is an answer. What's not working? I mean, there's a there's a mirror image of that, which is smaller organic farming that is bioregionally mindful And we could see this as a ritual. I think, you know, the the divide between, as you know, in magical practice to do the ritual is also intimately related with the material embodiment. Right. So the aliveness of things. So Mm. having a different relationship with the land that we're on is is a ritual. And to do that as a society is also a ritual. So that would be my take. We need a new relationship with where we are in a place-based sense, and it needs to become more place-based. If this means different forms of education, if this means, and I hate to privatize it, you know, like I hate to say, like, it's up to us as individuals to do our little part because even that is such a Yes, that's important, but that's not where it stops. You know what I mean? Because it's been used as a way to isolate and alienate ourselves from each other. So how do we come together, you know, in ritual to collectively practice a new way of being and relating to the world? Uh That's my that's my counter probe, right? Is as a question of inquiry of like, what do we what do we do together to live more with sense of place, to live more with the aliveness of things instead of flattening it? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm.
2: Yes. Barbara,
0: yeah, or- I, mean,
1: I agree with uh, everything you're saying, um, Jeremy, and um, I think I think it, I think that um, so, for example, some of the things that I love to do, like let's just take something like composting. I mean, when you actually do composting and you begin to see the breakdown of material, it's, you know, maybe other people don't find this exciting, but I do. You know, we could start with, um, you know, everything is kind of hidden away. We put our garbage and it gets, you know, it's like the rituals could be something simple like looking at nature and seeing how nature actually operates, and I remember the first time I saw, uh, horse manure and it was turned over and over and then there was like this heat coming off it. I couldn't believe it. That horse manure actually heats up and, and, and becomes this whole other thermodynamic <laughs> substance, uh, just from turning it over and in the sun. So I think so much is hidden from us that we shield ourselves from, but but we see it in the change of the seasons we see it in um the the blossom that's happening right now in california it's really incredible uh so i think it's when we just go out with a curiosity about the natural world it it shines through you know that's another word gepser use diaphony. There's a di- there's a translucence, a diaphony that surrounds us. But most of the time, we're not really slowed down enough to let it actually touch us. And the touching comes in the sense of, of my senses, my five senses as a human being. I can smell nature. I can see the blossoming. I can touch the diversity. I can smell the composting. And that smell of of rain and the first rain and the smell of like the wet earth or, you know, these are the things and the hearing of the birds singing in the morning. I mean, it's rituals to me need to really start with the fact that I have this body and this body allows me to interact with my five senses, with nature in a way that changes me as an individual and, you know, I, I see children and, and they're on these devices and they're not really interacting with the natural world. So we've become conditioned to to actually feel separate from the natural world. So a lot of the remediation needs to be this re reengagement, reenchantment, re, um, you know, re falling in love with 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 the natural world. We've become so insulated. And, you know, even with this COVID and social distancing, stay at home orders, quarantining, you know, the very thing that we actually need to do in the middle of COVID, which is rewild ourselves, we're actually becoming more insular and removing ourselves from this, you know, relationship with the natural world that our senses are built to uh, engage in that way
0: okay now I'm gonna ask you guys something that honestly I don't know the answer I have no idea but you know how we can do this so but I want to hopefully we could put our heads together and figure something out because what troubles me is the allure of progress see this is something I think Gepser does point at and undermine the simple thinking that has gone on because you know th- nowadays people think that if something happened if something was invented now or something proposed now or the news of the day they always rate that as superior to what happened before and uh, obviously this is not exactly working you know, because because we need to return to some perennial wisdom that's been there for for antiquity with indigenous peoples, which has been re You know, it's kind of been repackaged under the name that came out of Australia permaculture. You know, I mean, this is not something new, really. I mean, it's something that indigenous peoples understood for a long time how to work with with, you know, and you guys have been talking about it today. But what makes it so hard is that we are addicted to progress. So, Barbara, you're talking about, you know, people are on their devices and they and they can't connect with nature. Well, you know, there's there's weird little apps where people can point their phones at, you know, at flowers or something and it'll it'll tell you what kind of flower that is or what kind of what kind of plant it is. Um but there's something cold about that. You know, just it's a naming. It's just a, a nouning uh, so that we've, once we've nowned it, once we've named it, it's over. We understand it, but we don't really understand it because we're not, we're not participating. In it like Jeremy was talking about. So, so how can we, how can we get people to be truly open to all the wisdom that's been around for a long time? Um, and, uh, without you know nixing what's been going on but 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 open to another way of doing it you know how do we get people to do small farming or just farms that are truly interactive that are making making use of uh the uh uh the animals and 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 and, and thinking about the whole farm as a as a as a as an ecosystem um instead of just growing you know Corn, soybeans, rice. The U.S. government is, is keeps giving out uh, incentives for farmers to just grow these single crops. How can we shift this? How can we shift this in a in a deep way that it actually takes root? Mm,
2: excellent question. Uh, that is the. Uh, priceless question that so many different communities are experimenting with and asking right now. I would, I would mention the uh, localization movements that we see happening, not only over, all over the United States, but really all over the world where there's um, a small farm movement. There is, uh, I think Jason Snyder is, is one of the popularizers of this in my, my immediate community online. We're talking about homesteading and bioregionalism But not everybody can go ahead and buy some land and and start a homestead. You know, it's it's a difficult process, and it's not necessarily an answer for everybody's way of life. But I do think there are ways. Like for instance, I'll I'll bring up uh, Jeff Vandermeer's uh, great little uh, set of tips or suggestions for rewilding your backyard in the suburbs, and it's really simple. Like he he suggests, like get a bird bath, uh, spend a lot of time just watching your environment. And seeing what's there, and then growing local flora, and allowing creatures to return, and then and really with with so called permaculture or what was it called? Uh, permaculture gardening. It's really a sense of just planting some things and making space for nature to take refuge in your yard. That's it. I mean, it's really not a hands-on process of pruning and mowing the lawn and doing all the kind of landscaping it's letting go and having the right application of, of, of activity just enough. Right? So there's so many little practices we can do to shift, I think our relationship with the non-human world, even in a place that is deeply suburban and not necessarily in some remote, wild and beautiful place. Um, you know, maybe even in a city i, I don 't know what rewilding in a city looks like, but there's certainly movements like that so th- that 's one attempt you know that I think that's uh, many different attempts and then there's also the um, the smart village movement that i 've been following recently um, and that 's very interesting as kind of an extension of uh, the the homesteading and relocalization movement, but they 're playing around with very very similar principles of how do we apply the principles of permaculture to a small community. Um, That's still very much plugged into the world, so I think this regenerative turn, right? A lot of them call themselves regenerative culture practices, regenerative communities, are are very important and part of this. Part of the answer to that question, although I I don't think it's the, it may be the penultimate answer in the sense that there's still so much more learning to do and work to be done. Like adjacent to that, as I mentioned earlier, Joe Brewer's work and what he's doing with. working with regenerating a particular area of land that he's recently purchased, but he also wants to turn it into an educational space, a bioregional learning center that other people can kind of take up and practice in their own particular regions that may need some remediation. So, you know, as as things get more difficult in this century, we're really going to be needing people who are pioneering this in the sense of of really experimenting with bioregional learning and Sharing their notes and preparing for a new way of relating to to a sense of place. Um, that that's my that's my immediate answer here, but I, I don't feel it's sufficient. And maybe that's good. That we're in a place where none of the answers are sufficient.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, that's good. That's a good start. I appreciate the answer, Barbara. You-
1: yeah, I mean, oh. I have started to um, do some fermenting of vegetables um, because. You know, fermented uh, foods are rich in microbes, and they occur naturally. So instead of buying a probiotic at a, 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 a you know a natural food store, I can start to and it's amazing. It's just like taking cabbage and putting it in water and leaving it for a couple of days, and you come back and you look at your jar, and this this cabbage is beginning to break down and it it forms a, an elixir that's kind of acidic but smells really good. And uh, then I use the elixir in my salad dressing. So like I'm getting creative with food and what I can do with food and realize that um, nature does fermenting and you know kombucha that's a natural expression of what nature does you take anything alive and leave it out for a few days there's going to be microbes on it and Mm -hmm. you can have these experiments going on all around you on on a countertop a bottle of a jar of cabbage and watching it decompose you know and in I often think of children and like just even when I was a child, just taking these peach, you know, agar dishes, Petri dishes and leaving it out overnight and watching all the microbes grow on it and coming back in the morning and seeing mold, you know, it's, it's, it's realizing that everything is alive and that, you know, it nature just is teeming with life. And, uh, if you begin to see food as that you know teeming with life and and be curious about uh different kinds of food i've been experimenting with mushrooms and i mm. love mushrooms and um they're very powerful and um just you what else? I, I guess, you know, greens and understanding that greens can go into um, all of my dishes, juicing greens, juicing vegetables. Just there's so many ways to uh, prepare food that, you know, involves just this this wonderful way that nature is just generative and um, food becomes something other than just I have to eat. It becomes like, wow, what can I put in my body today that feels alive and is teeming with life, even just colors. You when know, I go into the grocery store, I pick like the red peppers, the yellow peppers, the orange cauliflower, the eggplants, it's being drawn to these colors of nature that we know are rich, in phytonutrients, and um, so even the way I shop for groceries becomes different. You know, it's nature is so incredibly teeming with color, life, vibrancy, mm. and so we should
0: we should eat like a painter. <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, yes. Uh,
0: uh, and Barbara, so so when we so when I have something in my refrigerator, right, and it's uh, like yogurt, for instance, and I've left it there, I, I would say too long, and something starts growing in it. You know, is that still safe to eat? I mean, do you know about these things? I mean, well, yogurt itself is already, you know, I mean, it's like I, we throw that out, but maybe we're doing the wrong thing. I don't know.
1: Well, I but, I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 can't advocate for, you know, eating <coughs> things beyond shelf life, but, um, I, I think that, um, just understanding that nature is teeming with life, microbial life, and this, my, you know, and this, we're eating this all the time, and, um, it, it, we, we are a garden. I mean, I don't know what else to say, just other than it's like you coming and asking yourself, how are you treating your garden? You know, I think it's interesting that, you know, um, vitamin D became one of the um, treatments for COVID um preventative treatments for covid Vi- vitamin d comes from the sun we we mm-hmm. had become so deficient in vitamin d because of using you know um, sunblock even children lathering sunblock on vitamin d was one of the first condoned treatments for covid and prevention of covid vitamin d comes from mm-hmm. the sun so we 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 were even deficient in vitamin C. Um, so I think nature is a healer. And I think it's like seeing nature more than the backdrop for our lives. But as we live in this alive world that is, you know, healing, food is healing, plants are healing, mushrooms are healing
0: bacteria and viruses are are almost always healing and yet we're we're, we're right and we're we're, well, we're focusing on the cases where they become virulent and aren't and uh because that's frightening to 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 people yeah I but think. i have one more one more kind of question for you for you for you guys because uh uh wow i love what you're you're saying it's 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 really great it it truly is a regenerative conversation um you know we 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 said in the beginning that we're going to be talking about time-free consciousness so you know I, i i i really uh Meant that in in every sense of the word, you know, to not just to pull on perennial wisdom, which is the most obvious solution for a lot of our problems, um, but also if t- if we're really talking about time free consciousness, we're we're also inviting the future to guide us. We're inviting the future, as Gebser would say, the future to become imminent in us. Mm-hmm. So we're you know so so I I truly believe that. There is a consciousness shift happening where people are going to realize how we're interconnected with nature again, because we used to understand this very well, and it's still very well understood in the indigenous world and amongst certain people outside of that, those communities, um, but for, for many of us, we're not. So, so how are we going to manifest that future where we understand that? That everything is interconnected. How are we going to make that imminent in us? How are we going to how are we going to invite it? How are we going to pull it in?
2: Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I so part of this, I think, is is uh, what I'm exploring in my next book. Uh, uh, it, I mean, really, it, it's it's how to reclaim time. How to reclaim a living relationship with time and becoming present. And I'm actually thinking of a, of a, uh, a German philosopher, uh, Byung Chulhan, who writes about this in what he calls his book is called The Scent of Time. It's this wonderful little philosophical text about, really about reclaiming time right towards the end of the text. And he says, we, you know, mindless overexertion of activity kills time. Wow. You know, and we even use that as a phrase. Ah, I have need to just kill time, right? We fill time up, we use it, but we don't fulfill time, as Gebser says, right? So, Byung-Chul Han is talking about this new relationship with time, a reclaiming a contemplative form of time to linger, right? To not rush forward. You were just mentioning that this—that this is not a time freedom. And Gebser points this out in in Ever-Present Origin, back in the 40s and probably earlier, uh, this sense of rushing ahead that is so concordant with modernity is not, in truth, a a form of time freedom or a freedom of, uh, or some kind of transcendent capacity. We are out of control with that form of time, right? With clock time, with machination, with motoricity. The machine world is is a a sort of intensity, a kind of occluded expression of integrality that the spatial world is attempting to master right but it has such intensity that it keeps bursting apart the spatial world so much so that time feels like it's destroying us i have no more time so byung chul han talks about this capacity to move into have time for lingering and reversals and becoming present as a way to reclaim time, and not to kill it, but to liberate it. And as he says, the democratization of labor has to happen alongside the democratization of time. And I thought that was wonderful. I thought if Gebser had read that, he would have he would have put that in an EPO of, you know, who are the philosophers talking about this? So this democratization of time, this capacity to linger, and we've been mentioning that too in terms of paying attention and being in the natural world. There's different rhythms of time that are all... Coexistent with us if we are able to pay attention and readjust. And maybe COVID was a good opportunity for some of us to do that, being stuck at home and having that time soup happen, time melting down, the rushing forward was paused and halted and even reversed. So a, a new relationship with time and becoming present, I think is the beginning of this capacity to have time freedom. But what Gebser mentions is, it's freedom for all times, right? This integral consciousness, mm. like motoricity, slowing down, contemplative time, time as, as, as labor, uh, time as leisure, uh, time as, as, uh, cycles and seasons, time as timelessness. These are all alive things in us that cannot be flattened. And so finding ways to cultivate that and concretize that in ourselves in day to day life opens us up, allows us to be the multidimensional beings that we actually are. And he says, if you live that way intensely enough, then the falseness of time that our modern world is so locked into, not that it'll magically disappear, but that you will not be able to engage with it in the same way. And then if enough of us have that intensity, that perhaps we can begin to produce the new and create the new and make that leap as a culture, right? Because there's an important thing that Gebser that observation Gepser always makes about these mutations of consciousness are not, yes, they are individual. Yes, they have a relationship with our own volition and courage to take that leap. But also, it's happening of itself, right? This is something that the world is almost initiating us into. And so we're being challenged, I think, as a culture to engage time differently, right? To not be speeding ahead and not have this sort of very unhealthy relationship with the non-human world, which has to do with this false sense of time that we're alluding to so that that's my that's my <laughs> brief attempt I love to, uh, it exploring. I
0: love it and we can take it to Congress too. They're always saying reclaiming my time reclaiming my time you know at those... <laughs> but if they, if you can speak to them about how the deeper meaning of reclaiming my time we might make get somewhere uh, but uh, uh, Barbara. So how are we going to manifest the future that is imminent in us? And I want you to maybe, 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 maybe call upon your your microbial ancestral allies um, and 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 the future micro- microbes also to how they can help us uh, manifest this good future.
1: Well. First of all, I would just like to say that all of these species of uh, microbes and viruses um, are a consciousness. In other words, mm. they are doing what they're doing. We're just the host. They are doing. Um, so there's they are the they are these microbes and viruses living within us. And um, then it, there's a genetic pool of material that they create. So in other words, they're, they're, the, the individual constituents are there, but the, the, the pool of information that they create just by their existence. I mean, that's the most amazing thing about microbes they are holobionts. They are architectural formations. They are assemblages that are um, organized around mutual support and cooperation. So the whole field is in communication and sharing information and sharing nucleotides and sharing gene- genes and genetic material constantly. It's like a hum. That's happening all the time. Mm. And that is what our human physiology is embedded in. So I begin to think about my body this way now. And I often will sit in my meditation and feel the humming in my system, the vibration. I mean, we know they have a communication that's called sensum quarrying, which means it's a vibrancy. So I actually tune into that now in my meditation. And I tune into it with this understanding that Gebser teaches us that everything that's ever been, the whole origin is, is in that teeming life inside of me. It's not just what I ate yesterday or the, you know, it is the ever present origin that has survived five extinctions. And here we are now, you know, some are calling we're on the brink of the of the sixth mass extinction. I'm going to put my trust in these microbes, because if 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 I don't, what else can I put it in? I mean, seriously, what else can I put it in?
0: That is God, so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm almost tearing up because. Uh,
1: well, this is how
0: ah, you I, how I,
1: can feel I it. Um, how I tune in. So people say to me, Barbara, why are you so like involved with microbes, and why are you, you know? It's like I never went after this, you guys. I just became curious, and 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 then I started to um, have a a relationship with my body and fell in love with this intelligence that is me. I'm not separate from us, th- from it. They're not separate from us. They are, we are our microbes. I've said this before, mm. we are our viruses. We are mm. them. So mm. it's a matter of um, recognizing that these are not germs to be killed, but that the this is a consciousness that is primordial. And, um, it's, it's the fabric of all existence. And if we, if we vilify our, this consciousness, uh, which is at the very basis of life, then we are really doomed. I'm, mm. I, we can have technology, but y- you know, these microbes, these microbes are the very thread of everything we see around us.
0: I love what you're saying, and, you know, I'm, I'm deeply moved. Uh, you know, we had on uh, the very first uh, Circle for Original Thinking podcast, uh, we had on a Colombian mama, Mama Duiku, um, calling in from the uh, high Sierra Nevada, de Santa Marta mountains. Um, and for them, what you're speaking about is deeply important and it's establishing a communication with the elementals they would That's call them so, you know right. so because because we're really we're establishing a communication with the invisible world because yeah. without microscopic technology we can't see these microbes and viruses but but they're they're there they're exerting a very important presence and it's one that we do need to come into in the balance and it's it's really it's my prayer. I personally pray a lot to, uh, to viruses, to bacteria, to microbes, to germs, because I say germs germinate, you know, germs germinate. That's all the basis of life. So my prayer is that we, we truly come back into beautiful relationship with, these, with the living soil and that, that permeates our gut and 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 makes us happy, gives us a gut feeling, a gut instinct that then flowers into into rational thought that is truly interconnected with our with our gut, that that that, that makes us whole, that, that that feels whole and we feel interconnected with the natural world. Oh that's what I want to see happen and and uh, I know it's possible. And, and people like you, Jeremy, you, Barbara, you are doing something great in the world. And I really appreciate your presence and your presence today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I know we can do this, humanity, but we need to let go. We need to let go and allow the beautiful intelligence of nature to flower within us not try to control it. (laughs) So thank you so much for a fantastic conversation. This program is made possible in part by Select Books, Waterside Publications, Bizgenics, and Web Talk Radio, Native Flute Music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathways CD, Liberty Song by artist Ron Crowder, written by Ron Crowder, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey. Post-production editing by Scout Media Strategies. The Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on earth. For more information or to volunteer to help produce this podcast, go to OriginalThinking.us or OriginalPolitics.us. And you can also find and purchase my books, Original Thinking and Original Politics there. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, uh, many blessings of good health and well-being to you in your Guts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We spilled our guts. Here, That's where it was. Thank you. Thank you.